0: Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go
1: to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts.
0: Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat, I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her, and this is not your typical episode of Pixel Therapy, I am sad to say. As Spencer and I have alluded to on the show lately, we both have quite a bit going on in our personal lives at the moment and our recording schedule for the end of May. (laughs) uh, When we scheduled it, we always knew it was going to be a tight one Uh, with Spencer's move and some family obligations on my own end. We had this like narrow little window in which we could record and edit and get you your regularly scheduled content and uh, life happened and we missed the window. Uh, So we need to give ourselves some grace We've been doing the podcast uh, nonstop since September of last year, and we've been loving the hell out of it. Uh, We're so appreciative of all the support we get from our listeners, from all of you on a daily basis. Each and every one of you all means so much to us, Uh, but we do need this little pause uh, whether we want to take it or not. So I'm not going to leave you empty handed, though. I do have a little surprise for everyone. Uh, you may remember Spencer and I mentioning that we did a live pixel therapy episode for LI Retro's Uplink 2021 virtual convention back in February of this year. And uh, we've had the recording in our back pocket for a minute. Uh, been trying to figure out how best to share it with you all. So today we're going to take the opportunity to do just that. The panel itself is just Spencer and I chatting about what pixel therapy is and why we started it. How gaming has functioned as a form of therapy in our own lives, uh, times when that's been helpful, times when it's leaned towards problematic, and a bit about gaming through the pandemic and what that's meant to us. Um, Spencer and I were so grateful to be invited to be a part of Uplink, and we were really nervous to do our first live show, so I really hope y'all enjoy listening to it. There won't be a formal outro at the end of the episode, so let me just boil it all down real quick for y'all. Uh, You can keep up with us at PixelTherapyPod.com or on social media at PixelTherapyPod. If you want a side quest this week, please pay attention to what's happening and has been happening to the people of Palestine and lend your support where you can. Thank you all for listening, rating, reviewing, subscribing, and just generally being thoughtful and empathetic. Folks, we love and appreciate you all. Run a story mission, level up some stats, hug an NPC. Spencer and I will be back soon with some more Pixel therapy. Hello. Hello. I think we're live now. Welcome yeah. to Pixel Therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Pixel Therapy. We are the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Uh, We're a bi-weekly video game podcast, bringing you insightful interviews every other week with folks who may or may not consider themselves to be a gamer, discussing the games that have made them and changed them, and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your (laughs) co-host. We're doing it live. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her.
1: And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them.
0: And this is Pixel Therapy Live for the first time ever here at Uplink 2021. We are so excited to be here
1: The stakes have never been higher.
0: Very high stakes tonight. Uh, (laughs) We want everyone listening right now to get cozy, pull up your armchair, feel free to lie down on your couch. Spencer and I are going to talk about our feelings. Spencer, uh, why don't we start off by telling the kids what Pixel Therapy actually is? Yeah, what
1: is Pixel Therapy? Um, Also, you may see folks wandering behind me because (laughs) I live in a one-bedroom apartment. This is my office. This this corner of the living room is my office. So welcome. welcome um, to my life. Yeah, so what is physical therapy? Um we're going to like get into this research a bit later, but I really thought that this core tenant um from this uh She's a game designer. She's a researcher. She is also an author, Jane McGonigal. We'll talk a little bit more about her research in a bit. Um, But she has coined this phrase, um, the opposite of play isn't work, it's depression. Um, and so if play is the opposite of depression, then games are kind of like the opposite of depression. And so for me, um, you know, what is pixel therapy? Um, I think that we are a podcast that celebrates gaming, um, and, and talks about it from places and perspectives, um, that hold it up and look at it as not just, um, a game, um, but as art, as, as therapy, um, as, as a passion, um, as something that maybe you weren't allowed to enjoy or have historically felt excluded from. Um, so we're like a podcast for gamers and soon to be gamers and maybe like not sure if they want to be gamers, but I thinking about it. Um, yeah, let's start there. What is pixel therapy to you, Jamie?
0: I I mean, I think everything you're saying resonates, uh, but like a a big part of why we started the podcast and what I I feel like I'm still getting out of it. And I hope our listeners are getting out of it, too, is uh, just this idea that there's more than just a critical take that can be had about a video game. And so much of what you get out of a video game is what you bring bring to it. Uh, The mindset that you bring to it, the identity that you have as you sit down and play that game uh, really influences what you actually extract from the game because they're interactive experiences. And so what we wanted to do with this podcast was really just uh, have opportunities for ourselves to talk about the emotional experiences that we're having with games and also invite other people who, as we say in the intro, may or may not consider themselves to be a gamer uh, to come on and, and talk about that kind of stuff with us too. Because the more people you get in the room talking about how and why they play games, uh, the more we can broaden the actual like idea of what it means to be a quote unquote gamer, which I think mm-hmm. has become such a loaded and and toxic term nowadays. Yeah. Um, yeah. What? Why did we call it pixel therapy?
1: Yeah. Um, well, wait. Before I answer that, I wanted to. Um, oh no, I'm doing that thing where my brain. Love something you say, and then <laughs> the ADHD kick kicks in. I completely forgot what I was going to say. Um, but oh, gamers, like, it's so interesting how every guest we've had on the show, um, like, we've had folks who work in the industry, we've had actors, we've had, you know, artists, uh, streamers, all types of academics, like, uh, therapists, <laughs> all kinds of people on the show, but everyone has such a, this, reaction when you ask like do you identify as a gamer um and I think it just goes back to like like there's so much tied up in this label um and I think people have there's so it's interesting like how many preconceived notions and conceptions are tied up in this label too um and even for people who um you know games were not a big part of their life they, they had feelings about that label and what it meant to them. Um, and, and their reactions to it have all been different. And it's just, it's a really interesting thing. Um, why we call the podcast Pixel Therapy. Um, uh, I mean, I think we've, I've maybe touched on this a little bit already, but like, I guess games to me are therapy. Um, games mm-hmm. have been like, when I look back, back at a lot of the major events in my life, I feel like there was a game there in the backdrop. Like, first time living on my own in college, just kind of moving away from all I'd known and striking out on, on my own. Skyrim, I was playing that a lot during that time. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, a few years later, I a partner that I had been with for several years, he and I had talked, had talked about getting married. Um, I realized I was transgender. Uh, he walked out one day and I never saw him again. Um, what did I play to get through that time? Horizon Zero Dawn, um, and that was a game that really taught me how to be alone. Um, you know, this summer um, I've been dealing with a lot of uh, pandemic-induced family isolation and and Trump-induced isolation. Um, Hades, uh, a game that uh, helped me like really process a lot of my issues and feelings about my my father figures in my life, like. I don't know. (laughs) They've just been there. Um, And I mean, maybe they're more expensive than a session of therapy. Like, (laughs) but I feel like in the long run, it's probably cheaper than therapy overall. Yeah, bang
0: for (laughs) your buck. Yeah, $60 (laughs) for a potential, you know, something like Persona 5 Royal, which we spent, you know, 200 plus hours in. You only paid $60 for that. So I think in the long run, it might (laughs) be a bit cheaper.
1: (laughs) 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 Um, and, in, like, I talked a little bit about my past, uh, and a, a tiny bit about the personal experience I bring to it, but, like, I don't know, do you feel, like, your identity, does that influence your relationship to gaming?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it must, right? Because <laughs> I agree with the central premise that, like, who we are influences the experience that we get out of a video game. And, like, similarly to you, I can think back over times in my life and the different, the, the games that I was playing at different points in my life uh, to to get me through things, things that like I probably wasn't really aware of in the moment, but in retrospect I look back and at, as someone who loves to find the narrative and everything can be like, oh, I was resonating with this game for this specific reason. I feel like mm-hmm. you bring up the pandemic and uh, Spirit Fair, which we might talk about more later, was a game that <laughs> really helped me grieve. Uh, Like, except the fact that I was grieving about everything that I had lost as part of the pandemic. So, I, as far as like my identity and what I bring to games, I mean, I have always enjoyed games for the chance to step into somebody else's shoes and explore Mm -hmm. a different aspect of myself. I think in our day to day lives, uh, we're we're always kind of in a box of like who who were allowed to be, who were seen, who were like perceived as and mm-hmm. games open up a whole wide world for you to go have an experience outside of that box. Um, you know, we've talked on the podcast about how when I was in high school and having a lot of anger issues, playing a lot of God of War was a way for me to vent that. And I really like in playing that like was Kratos. I was identifying with Kratos this just like rage monster that mm-hmm. I couldn't be in my day to day life. I'm a fucking five foot tall, like <laughs> like little kid at that time, you know, 14 yeah. year old and working in a in a restaurant and getting mad and slamming <laughs> pots and pans like it's not the same as. Ripping somebody's legs off, but getting to experience that and kind of pour and, like, process my anger through that. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Did I answer your question? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that,
1: uh, like, this, even before I ever had language, like, it took me a long time to understand myself. Like, I'm 27. I came out as transgender when I was 20 three. I guess you could say that like, like this narrative of like, oh, I looked in the mirror every day and hated myself. Uh, That wasn't really true. And that was kind of why I struggled so much with with understanding my identity, just because like, I thought that because I didn't fit this mainstream narrative of what it meant to be trans. And then that meant I was like a pretender or I was like, just, I don't know, the things you tell yourself, like, I just, I'm trying to be trans because it's cool. Honestly, like, I mean, being trans is cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> But, like, I don't know. I think I often hear this perception from folks, like, oh, like, you have it so easy. Like, everyone's just bending over backwards to, like, be PC. And uh, it's, like, I don't know what, I, like... I guess online in some spaces maybe it seems that way, but, like, a lot of things in my life actually got harder when I came out um, and mm-hmm. continue to be much harder. Like, even things I didn't expect, like, just, like, the anonymity of, like, going into a store and just looking, like, I don't know. Like, people just stare a lot more. Than, and, and that's, like, a little thing that doesn't feel as cool. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> even before I had the language, like, I remember in games – um, You know, I'm, I guess you could say I'm a non-binary trans man, but, like, I don't really, I've gone, I don't really have any particular, uh, like, what I'm about to say is I used to always pick boy characters in games. Mm -hmm. I never thought twice about it. I actually, for a long time as a child, like, thought that it was normal that everyone just kind of. Imagine in their head themselves as the opposite gender, quote unquote opposite Mm -hmm. gender, um, just for fun, like the side of rich inner life, I guess. Um, But like looking back at the the characters that I picked and and the types of of masculine characters that I thought were intriguing, like I was more into the links and the fire emblem esque and like the Square Enix Final Fantasy kind of guys were fascinating to me I'd never really seen that kind of masculinity portrayed before in any of the media that I was allowed to consume and so the idea that I could not only like see these stories but like be a part of it and like mm-hmm. get to be in the body and mind of of these characters like I didn't understand why I was so drawn to it back then, but looking back on it now, I feel like these examples of. Um, you know, a fluid masculinity or, like, beauty that kind of went outside of standard definitions of what a man is or a woman is um, or the ways that, um, you know, you could be sometimes a man or be sometimes a woman, depending on what type of game you're playing. Um, like, I really think that those were the places that, like, allowed me to, like, be resilient enough to get through living in an environment that didn't encourage that in me naturally or give me any examples externally of that. So I forget what we were talking about. Oh, how does being trans <laughs> influence like, our relationship to gaming? So like, I think even, you know, games were a lifeline to me before I even understood what they were doing. Um, and they still stand out in sharp contrast, like to mem- childhood memories. Like I can think back to moments where I'm playing a specific game with a specific person and um, how that affected me still. Um,
0: yeah. Well, and like, I, you know, I don't, I don't identify as, as true. Like I'm not trans, uh, I'm cisgender. But I've always uh, wanted to like I've always been curious about gender performance, like even from a very young age, um, I used to uh, dress like a quote unquote boy. Like mm-hmm. I definitely got mistaken for a boy a lot when I was a young child and games were always a place where you could go in and you could kind of be whatever you want. And so I've always I've always gone like all different directions and like I don't always play male characters or always play Female characters when you when you're given the choice, but um, it's always been a space where you could just kind of explore whatever you wanted to be that day, and I've always appreciated that as someone who's like never been super gender conforming. Hmm.
1: Would you do you feel like you'd
0: ever be like a non-binary woman
1: or like I feel like cis, like it's like <laughs> is anyone
0: anything? Yeah, and I I don't know. I guess. <laughs> My hesitancy to say it, I guess, is more like around like kind of how you were saying uh, before with the not wanting to feel like I'm just doing it to be part of a group or I I don't I don't know. I feel like it's something I need to pick at more. But yeah, yeah, I I don't like being called a lady. I can tell you that Mm -hmm. that will raise all of my hackles. But I have no problem Mm -hmm. with she, her, even woman to Mm -hmm. some extent. Like so. You know, just uh, gender constructs, I've I've always bristled at them, even from like a very young age. Just the idea that like you you have a certain gender and therefore you're going to go down this specific path. And this is the life that you're expected to lead. And these are the roles that you're expected to fill. And it's it's always pissed me off. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. games, I think because games inherently say, like, come in and just pretend to be somebody else or some games are like it's a preset character and you're going to pretend to be them. Or uh build your own character and exist in this world, but you can be whoever you want with caveats. we've talked about all the shortfalls of character yeah, creators, of and there are a lot, mm-hmm. but as far as like media that lets you do that uh, books yeah. to some extent too, right, and I was definitely like a huge reader when I was mm. a kid. Lots of fantasy, but oh yeah, yeah, I don't know, just the ability to step into uh a different set of shoes and live a different life. Yeah. Uh, like,
1: I think it can be really affirming to, um, just see that like, like, again, like uh, not having words to speak to an identity. Like, um, I think a lot of mental illness, uh, not, <laughs> I'm not conflating being trans and mental illness. Sorry. <laughs> that was like, bleh, but <laughs> just a backtrack a little bit. Like, I feel like, um, so for me, I suffer from, or I live with complex PTSD, I have generalized anxiety, and I have major depression. Um, and sucks sometimes, like this week was rough. Uh, <laughs> but like, um, I feel like illness can be exacerbated when you feel alone, or when you feel like there's no one else who is like you, or no one else who understands what you're going through. And I'm like, yeah, it's true that no one else can ever understand, you know, 100% what's going on in your mind and how you perceive the world. Um, but I think, like, those moments of of affirmation um, that gaming can provide, like, like, the first time I was a, like, boy character and a, another character addressed me that way. And the way that, like, inside it just felt right, like, that's recognition, even if it's not coming from, like, an IRL person yet that is still building confidence inside me to, to like, persevere and, and have hope that, hey, someone spent hundreds of hours building this game where this interaction is possible. So there must be other people out there who are like me, and this must be a normal thing. Like, I think it's, it's incredible how, um, like we are a podcast that, uh, really, um, what's it called? Like, centers perspectives of folks who, um, like us identify as queer, as people of color. Uh, I'm Filipino mixed with white, uh, and I'm transgender and queer. Um, and we, you know, like to hear from folks who maybe don't have also felt marginalized or underrepresented in the gaming community. Um, and the amount of, like every, queer person we've had on the show when we ask them like oh you know like what's your history with gaming it's it's incredible how unprompted every one of them pretty much has mentioned at least in passing the sims as -hmm. being a place where oh that was one of the first places where like i could have a family or i could um you know be queer and like invite people over and just hang out and be free and, and be accepted and have a job and like come home and 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 just have that kind of life and um like it's just beautiful.
0: <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, yeah. And so, uh, well, you were you were mentioning a little bit how this past week has been kind of hard. How how have you been doing with the pandemic in general? Because we we wanted to talk a bit tonight about specifically gaming through the pandemic and what gaming has meant to us during the pandemic. Uh, we started this podcast during a pandemic. This podcast is only six months old. Yeah. Six months. Really? It's also like in September. Six months? It's been six months. That's also crazy. It's, it's like, well, time's a flat circle now, but it feels yeah. like we started it a hundred billion years ago and also yesterday. And mm-hmm. it feels both of those things simultaneously. But yeah, mm-hmm. we started this podcast during a pandemic because we were connecting so much over games. We were leaning so much into games at this time right now. And so I, I don't know how, how has, how has the pandemic been for you so far, Spencer? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it,
1: it's tough. It, it feels like in a lot of ways I'm blessed and I, and I know that, and I know that it's not a competition of like, oh, let's play the suffering Olympics. Like all of our experiences are valid. We're going through a time of collective trauma and change and just tumult. Um, and like it, it, um, it can be really easy to try to guilt myself into not even like letting myself express my feelings. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I am working from home. Um, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um
1: But it's like, I guess, it, I guess I, for a while was waiting for my life to resume. I was thinking like, okay, we're going, putting everything on pause, going onto lockdown in a few months go back to normal, then that's kind of dragged on. Um, and it's at the point now where, like, I think we're past the point of, of ever really going back to the way things were in any way that feels recognizable. Mm-hmm. I think it's really starting to sink in that, um, yes, we're in the process of defining a new normal, but also, like, it's going to be years of um, sort of our culture Figuring out again what it means to like interact with each other and, and be together in public um and just like it's a lot
0: <laughs> um, yeah
1: and at the same time, like as someone who works from home, like I'm on zoom like all day, like I'm constantly meeting, and the thing about zoom meetings is you know like yes, we're working from home, so that in some ways. Could be easier. You don't have to commute. Your schedule is more your own. Um, you you know have the flexibility with your hours, etc. But I, I do feel like being on Zoom, it's not the it's not the same thing as being in a conference room with someone. Mm-mm. Um, it, it, It really creates this feeling of constant surveillance, of constant performance. Like you, Mm -hmm. like when you're in a meeting room, it's common, you know, human attention spans aren't more than like a couple of minutes at a time. So, like, it's common when you're in a meeting room to be shaking your leg to look at the wall, look out the window. Maybe you let someone else talk and you're just, you're drifting in and out. When you're on Zoom, um, you're constantly aware of of how other people are seeing you um, as well as what everyone else is doing. Um, and it it sort of just creates um, this pressure to always be on um, mm-hmm. in a way that isn't there when you're with people in person. And, and so like the last thing I want to do is do more um, face-to-face interaction after work, and, and I have found that um, games have really been a way for me to, I guess, get out of my apartment in some ways, mm-hmm. um, but not necessarily have to be on uh for someone else. I don't know if that resonates with you at all. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, that resonates a ton. Uh, especially like, I mean, everything you're saying about Zoom, our, our situations are fairly similar, uh, in terms of, you know, I also feel pretty lucky that my, I've been able to keep my job. Um, I've been able to do my job from home. Uh, my, I live in a one bedroom apartment with my partner. He does have to go to work, but his work is really taking things very seriously. He's very safe. Uh, everybody masks, they come home. So like our level of risk, uh both financially and health wise has been incredibly low for this entire time. So like everything you're saying about that, like like I don't feel like I have any right to complain. Like I've I've felt that a lot and in different degrees at different points during the pandemic. Um, because I know there's a lot of folks out there who have it a lot rougher than I do. And at the same time, like this is still uh, you know, buzzword, unprecedented situation mm-hmm. that we're living through right now. And, you know, similarly, I, I can still remember leaving work in March and being like, all right, everybody we will see you in a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I just, you know, want to go back and shake that version of myself that went home from work that day and be like, you need to give all your coworkers a hug because there's people I'm never going to see again. There's people who've, who've left, who no longer work for the company that we had to have goodbye parties over Zoom and it's, it just, uh, it sucks. And the Zoom thing yeah. sucks. And I'm a pretty introverted person who doesn't need like, uh, like the amount of social interaction that I can take in any given week, like it's a pretty low threshold. Um, and so I always kind of thought that I just like that I didn't really like hanging out with people because I could do like every other weekend, maybe I can do a social hangout. What I realized is that there was so much socializing that was happening for me at work, in the office, going to meetings in person, interacting with my team in person, um, just being in the office space with other people and losing that has been a huge blow. It's been a huge depressant to just my Mm -hmm. overall energy. But in the same way, yeah, because I'm on Zoom all day, which is not a replacement for like that energy that you get from just being around people like Zoom is a total drain. I, I can't. It's not like, oh, well, now that I'm not expending social energy at work, I can just hang out with people all weekend on Zoom. <laughs> like in some ways, it's even been less. Yeah. So it's like I'm both like craving human interaction and also have no tolerance for it, right, um, which is right. what's made doing this podcast with you so special and getting to interact with our fans and stuff so special because it's been a level of interaction that I've been able to tolerate. Sounds like a bad word, but it's it's been a good amount mm-hmm. of interaction that's been healthy and supportive for me at this time. Um, yeah. And games have been a huge support system for me in this time, too. Uh, and, and it's not just us, right? Like, I was... I recently was listening to a different video game podcast because I listened to a lot of them <laughs> uh, and they were talking about uh, animal crossing sales figures. Oh yeah. So animal crossing came out in March and as of December 31st has surpassed 31 million copies. Wow. 31 million copies. Uh, so, and, and games as an industry have been booming throughout the pandemic. People, not just us are turning to games in droves, Uh, for something to do for an activity, but I also think that we're probably not alone. I think a lot of people are getting a lot of, uh, mental and emotional support from playing games right now in this time. Uh, I just wondered, uh, I know you've, you've brought us a study today because we want to talk about maybe like why it is Mm -hmm. that games are being so helpful for folks uh, always, but especially right now as so many people are struggling with isolation, anxiety, depression. Right, yeah. I mean, speaking of
1: Animal Crossing, uh, we covered this a bit on a, a recent episode. Um, if folks are interested, it's episode fourteen, uh, where we have uh, the emotional benefits of gaming with Counselor Jameer Leslie, um, who was an amazing guest. Um, but there guest. was a, such a great guest. Um, so she, she's a she's a therapist. Just quick, she's a therapist. Um, she's very recently gotten back into gaming over the pandemic, um, and she has logged over 700 hours in The Sims, and we're both just very proud of her. Shout out, Jameer. Um, <laughs> you're yeah, killing it. Um, and she advocates, she's, she's a great therapist because she understands that, uh, that gamers like to game for, uh extended amounts of time, and that is okay. Um, find out more in our episode.
0: But, um,
1: <laughs> we talked about, um, there's a study out of the Oxford Internet Institute, and it was led by a researcher named Bill um, or, I oh, wait, his last name is Shabilsky. Let's just, just say uh, Mr. Shabilsky. <laughs> and, I can forget his first name, but um, they found that playing four hours or more of Animal Crossing per day had a positive correlation with increased well-being and happiness. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it kind of goes against these ideas that playing games inherently um, makes you depressed or makes you anxious, stuff like that. Um, And so, you know, to your question of, like, what is it about gaming that is, uh, like, so important, such a uh, so prevalent right now. Uh, we were looking at this research. So Jane McGonigal, as I mentioned earlier, she is a game designer and researcher. She's the author of two books. Um, one called Super Better, which I'm currently reading right now, and another one called Reality is Broken, Why Games Make Us Better and How They Can Change the World. And, and she's someone who's really been studying the links between, you know, how our brains work, um, and video games and how, uh, we can use video games, uh, to, you know, or better habits or um, work through depression and anxiety and things like that. And so she writes that in the past few years, there have actually been multiple brain imaging studies done, including one conducted at Stanford University um, that have actually looked into the brains of gamers. Um, Their research research show that when we play video games, there are two regions of the brain that are continuously hyperstimulated. The region most associated with motivation and goal orientation, which are often referred to as the reward pathways. And the second one is the region most associated with learning and memory, the hippocampus, which you may remember from AP psychology. Um, so these two regions of the brain, the reward pathways in the hippocampus, are the same two regions that get chronically understimulated and even shrink over time um, when we are clinically depressed. So video game play, as we were kind of talking about earlier, is like literally the neurological opposite um, of depression. And uh, there have actually been studies that show a correlation: um, if you're playing games twenty to thirty hours a week, um, like. Uh, whether this <laughs> way, sorry, <laughs> we, we always joke about how, like, um, with the magic of editing it always is kind of <laughs> um Um, so there have been correlations in research between depression and gaming more than 20 thir- to 30 hours a week. Some researchers originally interpreted this evidence as that video games cause depression. You're paying it so often, you're depressed, it must be caused by video games. Mm -hmm. But today, um, from our our better understandings of how games work on our brains, um, a more common interpretation among researchers um, is that many depressed players are actually attempting to self-medicate with games. And that's why you're seeing more depressed folks playing games, because gamers know that like when we're depressed, sometimes the best thing to do is pick up a game. Like yep. right?
0: Yeah. No, I mean I've I've certainly done it and I I don't necess- I don't necessarily advocate for it. I don't necessarily know <laughs> if it's a good thing to medicate this way. But you know, you mentioned Skyrim earlier, and that's definitely a game that I was playing at a time when it was like right after graduating from college. I had already decided that I was not going to pursue what I went to college for. And mm-hmm. there was nothing like especially bad in my life, but I just felt totally lost and and like a bit of a failure for not pursuing my degree. And I just I was obsessed with Skyrim. I would not, I wasn't sleeping enough. I mm-hmm. wasn't really doing much else uh, to take care of myself or or anything. I was just full on in it. And so I I I can definitely attest. And I've had situations like that during the pandemic too, where I know I was whether consciously or not, I was using games to self-medicate. What about you?
1: Yeah, that reminds me, like, um, it just reminds me of growing up. I think I used to have a lot of shame attached to gaming because, um, like, my mom would often say, like, oh, you're so lazy. You're always playing games. Games make you lazy. And so, like, I associated what I now understand to be depression As a personal failure, as like, Mm. I suck and I'm a piece of garbage and I can't do anything right. And like, I think I would turn to games and, but like, it would be in times when I would be turning to them to escape. And so I would be playing them for hours at a time. And it just all got conflated as like harm, like, like a negative thing. Um, and it wasn't until I was an adult, um, and really started to understand what I was getting from games and I started to realize that um they could be like therapeutic um I'm sorry you're asking me like how I've (laughs) how I've been using games to during the pandemic yeah um
0: well to self medicate specifically but yeah
1: yeah so like you know, today in the pandemic, like, I mean, I remember March, well, I barely remember
0: March 2020
1: (laughs) because at the same time the the pandemic was hitting, um, the U.S. translation of uh, Persona 5 Royal also came out. And for those who may not be familiar, Persona 5 Royal is the Japanese role-playing game that is easily, can be 200 plus hours if you are playing it um, thoroughly and you are really, um you know spending time with the characters and getting entrenched in the story um and it's actually it's kind of cyclical that i mentioned that because just yesterday um i started playing the my pre-order version of persona 5 strikers which is somewhat yes. sequel that's just come out um i don't know it's just kind of funny how things come back around but um you know i sunk into that game like i remember my partner and i um this was march so i think a fear was really high. We didn't really know what was safe or what wasn't. There was a lot of conflicting mm-hmm. information coming out about, oh, masks do work, masks don't work. You shouldn't wear masks. You should wear masks. Like, sh- eating dining is okay, but you need to be six feet apart. And like, this isn't okay. And gatherings are bad, but so and so still having their wedding and or their party. And so there was just a lot of misinformation flying around. A lot of fear, and my partner and I were at that time living in an apartment with several other people um, who, you know, had uh, some of them were essential workers. Um, we didn't have a lot of control over what was going on around us, and I think for me, someone living with um, generalized anxiety and 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 PTSD, like a lack of control can be a real trigger for me, just feeling incredibly unsafe. Um, and so we basically just have built a fort in my partner's bedroom where I had my persona and it was all with, my, there was like persona and snacks and beverages and bed and workspace, like all within this room. Um, we're now in a space that's a bit bigger and looking back on it, I don't like, now that we have this bigger space, I'm like, oh my God, I don't know how I got through that time, but like mm-hmm. without the game, like it's the same way that distraction is clinically proven to lower pain that you're feeling like if you have mm-hmm. someone to talk to you um, to distract you like you're able to take higher amounts of pain and i i think like you know with depression too like just having this place to escape into where my goals were neatly defined and uh you know i was surrounded by friends and um i'm so percent of five like uh you're like a high schooler and so it just it was a great escape um mm-hmm. and i think too you know it, it could it's more than that it's not just escape When i think about gaming through the pandemic like i think um i
0: don't know like i think oh, can, War, i, I, I want to oh yeah i want to make it the escape thing a little bit because this this study that you found if i can read another piece of it it's they say. Yeah. um Self-medicating with games can be a dangerous path to go down. If you play games with an escapist mindset, that is to ignore your problems, to block unpleasant emotions, or to avoid confronting stressful situations, you're more likely to suffer some of the negative effects that many studies have found associated with playing games, like anxiety, depression, or social isolation. That's because the more depressed you feel or the more stressful your life gets, the more you play games, and the less time and effort you put into action that could help solve your real-life problems – Your problems, therefore, get worse, so you spend more time gaming to escape them. It's a vicious cycle. Mm. I don't know if this is applicable to the pandemic, though. Like, in terms of Mm. it being a negative thing. Like, you look at what I was doing with Skyrim when I I was literally trying to avoid the fact that I had kind of blown up my future plans a little bit. I was uh, dealing with a lot of feelings of perfectionism and feeling like I needed to attain uh, a certain thing that I hadn't, you know, a firstborn child, like Mm -hmm. first to go to college in my family, like feeling like I had to do something with myself and then just kind of not just getting Mm -hmm. a full time job that wasn't a career that was just a job and uh, treading water. So I was playing the game to literally avoid all that and not have to think about it. That's probably, that's dangerous. That's problematic, right? That's where the escapism is bad. But Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the pandemic using video games to escape a situation that you truly have no control over, like what else is, what else was there to do at that time? Like if you hadn't been escaping and I'm saying Mm -hmm. you, but like I was doing it too. Mm -hmm. if we hadn't been doing that, What else would we have been able to do? Like, I don't know how else any how you could be processing that fear or doing anything about. There's nothing that you can do to change the situation. It's completely external factor. So I think Mm -hmm. there's plenty of times where the situation is actually outside of your control and that escapism can help you survive.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. Like, I honestly
1: feel like a theme over the past year like I've I've always been aware of my mental health because I have to. Like as I guess I'm someone who like I I do feel like I'm able to compartmentalize. Like even when I'm so depressed and the self talk is terrible and I can barely get out of bed and I and I'm not eating and I'm the anxiety is so high that it feels like ants are trying to claw their way out of my chest. Like I still manage to go to work and like give a presentation like nothing is happening, and I'm also mm-hmm. like I'm an introvert, but i I'm known to be like very affable and and I'm easy to laugh and stuff like that so like no like i i'm always i always get scared when i like this is this is very personal, so like you know trigger warning if talk of depression or um you know thinking of suicide stuff like that if that is triggering like um you know, please feel free to take the space you need. But um, <laughs> and in giving that warning, I've, I've of course the thought has left my head of what I was going to say. But like, um, I've I've been scared at times when I when I read stories about people who it's like, oh, they were so friendly and they had lots of people in their life who loved them. Like, how could they have killed themselves? Like, like that resonates a lot because I, I don't know. It's like this. I think at the end of the day, I just. I I never want to be a burden on to people um and so like I take that very literally um and just I think maybe that stops me from going to really dark places is the idea that <laughs> people who I'm leaving behind would have to deal with that um let me think about why what this has to do with video games <laughs> I know I was bringing this up like um but um Hey, we're talking about mental health. <laughs> we, <laughs> we're gamers and we have mental health problems. So this, <laughs> <laughs> this is a
0: mental health podcast. Uh, mental health podcast. Um,
1: so, you know, I don't know. Um,
0: well, the, oh, we we're talking about oh, escapism.
1: Right. Just that, like, um, uh, resilience. Like, I think I've 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 always been aware of my mental state because that's what enables me to make sure that people on the outside don't see that I'm hurting. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, like, um,
0: games, my God, Jamie,
1: um, during the pandemic, like, playing Persona, playing these games, like, I think I was purposely, intentionally making the decision to go into them, in order to give myself a break from doom scrolling to give myself a break from going into my anxiety loops. And I, I I do think I really appreciated how much games have to offer this year. I think, you know, like the gaming industry has exploded this year and only continues to grow um, just from the fact that everyone is kind of coming to these same realizations, but like, I really feel like without them, my life would have sucked this year. And that is really different from how I used to think about games, which are like, oh, it's like a hobby that I do for fun. I don't really talk about being a gamer to people because get mixed gets mixed reactions. But these days mm-hmm. I'm like, listen, y'all, games <laughs> can
0: save <Okay>. lives. <laughs> Those mis- mixed reactions are real, though. It's It's something that I've appreciated so much about the space we've created with the podcast is that We can actually talk to people who play games. We don't have to call them gamers. Thanks, Dan. We talk to people who play games and uh, you can just have a conversation about games. And there's no like there's no judgment like baked into that. Um, and, And except for like what people put on themselves. Right. I don't know how many people we've talked to you who have been judging themselves about a way they're interacting with games. Um, because of how much of that gets internalized, but even you know, I still sometimes feel like I can't necessarily just bring it up with coworkers or whatever. Yeah. Or like if I do, what are they going to think of me, or how are they going to be perceive me? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. Even oh my god, like even telling coworkers like
1: like I've my like coworkers have asked like oh like. You know what are you up to with the pandemic? And I've said like, oh, my friends and I started a video game podcast. And mm-hmm. there are some people where it's like immediately their eyes glaze over and they're like, oh yeah, okay. Like yeah, like immediately discrediting what that means. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you don't understand. Like if someone had a film criticism podcast, people wouldn't judge them for that. Um, but inherently, yeah. people like people would be like, oh yeah, of course. Like there's there's an art to that. There's a respect. That there are people who dedicate their careers to that and and understanding film and being able to speak about its history and the techniques involved, like that's seen as uh, a status symbol in some circles. You know, Um, people that's a date strategy to be able to talk about stuff like that. And uh, you know, it's like, why don't we see video games in the same way? Why do we inherently associate them with lowbrow art? And I'm not saying and this is as someone who does not in any way think that we need to gatekeep the art world or that art should Mm -hmm. only be for people who can afford a certain thing or who live a certain lifestyle. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I do think that the amount of blood, sweat and tears that goes into making video games, the way people's lives are made and destroyed over the course of years in the process of bringing forth these these monstrous multifaceted. Multi part working like how does a game any game that is made I'm immediately like you're a hero because that's so much so you know um let me pause there because I because what we were talking about in terms of our mindsets and what we bring to gaming there's definitely something else that would make me think of but but let me see if I just want to let you respond if there's anything else you wanted to say on this topic. <laughs>
0: Oh, no, I mean, I no, I think I think you covered it. It's just uh, I, I don't I wish I could pinpoint exactly where the perception comes from. I mm-hmm. have to assume it's a dated thing that is like slowly going away. Um, yeah. This, yeah, just this idea of games being a lazy, um, a lazy hobby that mm-hmm. people shouldn't invest in. Um, I just think it's a complete misunderstanding of the breadth of what there is on offer. In, in games and what people get out of them. Um, right. So yeah. Right.
1: So yeah. So you know, we we're talking about mindsets. Um. You know, to this point of how games can be used for escapism. Um. If you're constantly using games to avoid stressful situations, or you like every time you feel stressed, you turn to a game. Like yeah, you can of course start to associate gaming with those feelings, or or even um just find yourself falling into this vicious cycle. However, playing games to change our mood doesn't have to be problematic. Um, Really, the key is to play your favorite games with a purpose, with a positive goal in mind. Um, Examples, uh, developing your creativity in a game like freaking Roller Coaster Tycoon or The Sims or Minecraft, wanting to solve new problems and stretch your brain. I'm thinking of games like Portal or Baba Is You, are even like the witness um, strengthening relationships with friends and family. Like even mobile games um, that have come up now, like Among Us, uh, Wars of Friends. Like uh, like the barrier to entry is lower than ever. It's more accessible than ever. You don't if you have a smartphone, which pretty much everyone has. Like you can play a game. Um, mm-hmm. And like I think that it it's exciting to hope that more and more people will realize that gaming can be for them. Because if, if you've played Among Us, then, then you've played a video game. Um, uh, you know, even like uh, learning to bounce back, to persevere, like anyone playing The Last of Us on grounded mode knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Just the fact that you try something over and over again and then, you, and then you eventually get it. Like it reminds you that you are capable of learning, of adapting. Um, you can be in high pressure situations. You can be in high stress situations. Um, you can handle it. Um, you know, like, there's just been research showing that this, the, like, approaching games with this mindset of, what am I getting out of this? Like, what can I, what can I do with this today? What can I take from this and, and carry with me? It, like, when you, it's like when you, before you go to bed, uh, they say that if you write in a journal, like, I want to remember my dreams, or you just start, just just start every morning when you wake up, even if you just remember a word or a color, just write it down, and over time, slowly, you'll start to remember more and more of the dream and get to the point where, um, some people even get to the point of lucid dreaming, being able to control what happens to them in their dream. I think much in the same way, if you're approaching games with this mindset of, what am I taking from this and carrying with me, over time, it, it really ap- applies to real life. Like it has real world uh, improvements on your confidence, your problem solving skills, um, and, it, and it becomes the opposite of playing it just to escape. You're 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 growing with it. You're using it as a tool that's helping you.
0: Yeah, I like the way you kind of recontextualized or, or like reframed what the what the study said. Because I'll admit when I first read the language from the study and saying that like uh the the sentence the key is to play your favorite games with a purpose with a positive goal I, something like I, I don't know it just like kind of boxing my positivity ha- well it, what raised my hackles i think was the idea that something that only has value if it's if it, there's like a product it's like mm. being productive in some way or that like this that like you're only spending your time wisely again in a game if you have some ulterior goal that's like making you a better person and i just don't think like the way you're talking about it is is closer to, I think how people actually approach games, which is like, I'm not sitting down to play a puzzle game because I want to fucking grow. like, I'm not actively thinking like this yeah. is going to be a great use of my time. I'm going to put an hour towards, you know, <laughs> making my brain stronger. Like n- nobody's like coming at it like that. Like you, you want to like work your brain. Like you just, you haven't, you want to play a puzzle game. So you play a puzzle game or like, for me, I play a lot of narrative adventure games. It's like, I want to experience somebody's story. There's, Ways that I'm growing and changing through the process of playing that game, even though like my initial instinct to pick up that controller is I want to uh, I want to relax mm-hmm. like that. 90 percent like games are the place where I can recharge almost all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should talk to with therapist about it, but I don't think I'm currently using them as straight up escapism as I know I've done and I've seen myself do. the yeah. That. But I'm not picking that controller up with, like, a a, am going to be be productive for an hour and, like, grow a life skill. I think the life skill growing is just inherent to the games. Like, games are teaching us things. And if we actually reflect on our experience with the games, we will get that stuff out of it. But it's more about the reflection and less about going into it with this really—I Like just can't imagine any gamer— sitting down and being like, I'm going in with this very specific goal of what I'm what I'm gonna accomplish. But I do think that right. growth is there if you take the time to reflect on what you experienced in the game.
1: Yeah. And I think what you said too reminds me that like there are people who get really angry at a game. And I think that you can get really angry and start to hate a game when you try to bend the game to your will. Like at the end of the mm. day, a game is a fixed world with its own rules and you're a guest in that world. Like someone else has created this world and defined it and you are entering it, but it's not yours and you don't control it. And so if you choose to resist that, just like in life, if the harder you resist change, the harder life gets, um, you know, I, I'm thinking of like a uh, big Backlash that games like let's for example talk about The Last of Us Part Two like that has a ton of really valid criticism, Mm -hmm. Um, but there are people who were so angry and refused to go any further just because they didn't get to play the character they wanted to play. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like I think at a certain point uh, you'll get more out of a game if you just are as open as possible to letting it take you where where it intends to take you and teach you what it intends to teach you. Um, you don't, it doesn't have to be exactly what you expect for it to be valuable to you. Um, mm-hmm. and like, I think too, to this point about mindsets, it's like, I don't know, I've for more on just let go. And even if I'm overwhelmed at first or I'm angry at first, maybe that if I pause and think, well, maybe my anger is actually important. Like maybe I'm learning something about myself here, like just because I'm, feeling conflict doesn't mean that inherently the game is bad. Uh, mm-hmm. It just means that it's challenging me or it's pushing me in a way that I'm not used to. Um, and it's like, what, like, I think that's one of the most important things that games bring us is, is just this ability to be fully submersed in another perspective. It's so valuable for building your worldview and your sense of, you know, morality and, and ethics and, and just like being a better person.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, like in in that vein, and kind of reflecting on this deep time of gaming during the mm-hmm. pandemic, what do you? Yeah, what what kind of were the what are the big learnings or the big changes that that happened this time that you want to carry forward with you? Whether it's in relation to gaming or some bigger thing that you learned that you want to hang on to past past the pandemic or just pest tonight? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the
1: experience of making this podcast, too, this, like, I think my relationship to gaming has shifted. I think I've moved from seeing it as a thing that I sometimes do, uh, like, as a hobby to, like, something that's important to my sense of identity. Like, I think that I really appreciate games as an art form and I like talking about them with people. I guess it just, it feels um, like in the same way that people work out every day or they garden every day or they spend 20 minutes journaling in the morning. Like I do feel like gaming is a healthy and um, creative and joyful, like part of my life that I Mm -hmm. think would be, my life would be kind of sad if I didn't have it in it. <laughs> um, and I want to give them more respect. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Like, I, I want to reflect the respect I think that they deserve. In yeah. addition to all the other things I've talked about. <laughs> I mean, what about you? Do you have any other, like, uh, you know, what do you not want to lose? Like, what if games brought you?
0: I mean, I think you you stole my answer a little bit in the Uh-oh. in the framing of this pot of this podcast, uh, and so p- part of it's this pod. I guess I guess yeah, it all kind of comes back to the podcast because I've always played I've always played games as one of my primary hobbies. Or not always, uh, obviously. Like like most gamers, I've had periods of time where I've fallen off, but for the most part, um, I've been a gamer pretty much since post college. Um And have played pretty consistently and had this hobby this this thing that I participate in and and to date uh you know, I never had a place where I could go and like really talk about that kind of stuff. I was the perennial like meme of the kid uh eating the ice cream in front of the poster of people with the ice cream, uh having just listening to podcasts about video games and wanting to be a part of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And us doing this podcast together and even just, you know, our friendship in general, as we started talking about games more and more and you started getting into games more like actually having that uh, outlet in my life has made me feel way more comfortable about being out as a gamer and just like, not worrying so much what the perceptions of it might be and just saying like, yeah, I I played a game. And like then talking about why that game mattered to me with people. And if they still want to think after hearing that, that, that was a waste of my afternoon, then I guess that's on them. But <laughs> at least I'm putting that out there. And it's actually helped me find like more people who are interested in talking about games. Like there are people yeah. in my life uh, and that I was interacting with that had this interest that we're also not saying anything about it. And so it's kind of, yeah, it's just opened up a whole new social avenue for me. And it's helped me appreciate gaming even more and and just have a deeper understanding of what it does for me and how I'm using yeah. it. Yeah. That's beautiful.
1: And yeah, and I'm and like, it's also great to hear from listeners. Like we have had listeners reach out and be like, you know, listening to your podcast encouraged me to pick up something I hadn't played in a long time, or it reminded me of a memory of a game that was really important to me, or it made me realize something about myself that I'd never attributed to gaming before. So it's just really beautiful um, to see that happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, geez, I mean, <laughs> this hour has Lush. flown by. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much our time for today's session of Pixel Therapy. Uh, thank you to everyone who's been here watching us live. Uh, we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own. If you like what you heard here live today, please come check out our website, pixeltherapypod.com. We're about halfway through our first year of doing this podcast, as we mentioned before, and we have 14 episodes out that you can find on our website to check out. Uh, Plus links for other places to listen to us and a link to our Patreon, uh, because if you're interested in getting a monthly bonus episode uh, or other ways to get involved with us directly, we do have the Patreon there. You can uh, come check that out.
1: Follow us on Instagram at Pixel Therapy Pod. I'm way better at Instagram than Twitter. (laughs) Well, actually, follow us on Twitter because we need more Twitter followers. (laughs) Um, But... Pixel Therapy is also a happy member of the But Why Though podcast network, um, so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to but Why though, though is spelled with a T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they are building around pop culture news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts just like yours, truly.
0: Yeah. Uh, first, I just want to give a quick shout-out to Dan in the chat, who's dropped us a couple messages. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for watching. Glad you enjoyed Thanks, it. Thanks, Dan. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel Therapy. therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye.